media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Amen. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. If you weren't with us last week, we had what we called Nerd Day. It's kind of that day when we just kind of, uh, here's the whole background Philippians and we try to get, okay, why was Paul writing this letter? Who are the Philippians? What, what are they known for? Uh, what were some of the situations that were going on? And so this morning we continue on that and we'll be continuing on probably, I estimate, eight or nine months. We'll have some other things like Advent and an Advent series and some other things. But for the most part, for the next eight or nine months, we will be in Philippians uh, going through this wonderful book. And, and this morning we talk about prayer. And, and I've shared this with you before, that one of the hardest subjects to preach on, believe it or not, is not money, but it's prayer. It's one of those things that a lot of people always get about, yeah, he's preaching about money today. And I don't know that I've ever preached about money whatsoever unless it just comes up in the text. And I'm not going to shame away from that. Everything I see in the Word uh, about my giving and my tithing and all that kind of stuff is, is associated with God's just uh, blessing in my life. And so I'm never going to shy away from that. But we don't make it a point to, to preach about that. Uh, in the same way... One of the hardest subjects truly to preach about is prayer. For two reasons, guys. Number one, because you don't make eye contact. For the most part, you start to turn away when you talk about prayer because nobody really feels like super dynamic about their prayer life. Oh, there's always one or two. And those are the ones that I am so glad because I know that those one or two or three or four in every congregation that are just prayer warriors, that they pray for me on a regular basis. It's the only way that you can stay in ministry is that you have faithful people praying for you, I promise. But a lot of people, we just don't feel like, man, I wish I prayed better. I wish I prayed more. I wish I prayed fill in the blank. And so it's one of those things that's quite a challenge to us. And so this morning, uh, it is a challenge to preach because, you know, there's not as much eye contact. There's not as many amens or anything like that. The second reason why it's really hard to pray is uh, to, to preach about prayer is I never really met too many pastors that said, yeah, out of all the dis- spiritual disciplines of my life, that is my strength. I've met one or two, and they're intimidating. I'm going, I want to be like you if I grow up. And yet for many pastors say, no, I love Jesus. I, I love his word. I love study. Prayer is a hard discipline for me. And I hope it doesn't disappoint you too much. I hope that it doesn't just change to, too much of uh, you know any respect that you might have for the office of pastor. But this pastor struggles with that. I, I've always told all of my uh, discipleship guys, hey, this is one of the hardest disciplines. Yes, I pray, but, you know, I start reading like today, reading Paul's prayer, and I'm going, man, I wish I prayed like that. Well, that's the challenge before us this morning. And I really wanted to talk to parents, grandparents, husbands, wives, uh, anybody that you have those intimacies in your life. Now, again, I'm not trying to exclude anybody who's single here this morning or anybody who doesn't have a child or something, but we all have intimacies in our life. It may be a sister and a brother. It may be our mother and our father. All of us have people that are really, really close. And I want to share with you today Paul's prayer because I really think that it's applicable for us to pray toward an end, praying with an end in mind as we see Paul's prayer for the Philippians. Now, again, can you pray this for anybody, a stranger? Yes. 
And yet, as we get into it, you're going to see that the passion that Paul has for this prayer is because of his intimacy with the Philippian church. I believe that it was probably his favorite church. He wouldn't have been able to say that. You're probably not going to find that in Scripture. Uh, a lot of times, missionaries will come back. We had them at Shadowbrook. We had them at other places and said, hey, you know, I'm in India or I'm in Africa or I'm this place or that place, but this is my home church. And I'm not so sure that Paul... If he had the chance to go to Philippi, would have said, you know, I feel like I'm in my home church. That's the intimacy that we began to see last week as we looked at the first couple verses there. But here, before we start and get into the word, I want to ask you this examining question about your prayer life. Would you say that most of your prayers are reactive or proactive? You just kind of had to start thinking, oh, if I just had to evaluate and kind of chart it out, you know, probably, Pastor, more reactive than proactive. I I mean, think about it this way. Do I pray because something has happened or do I pray for something to happen? It's kind of two things. We're to pray for both of those things. Uh, To be real honest, I think that most of us would say that we pray reactively. Even if we're praying for something, it's because of something that's happened. For example, let's say that we're praying for healing for somebody. Why are we praying? Because they're sick. So something happened, and we see their dire situation, whether it's a cold or something extremely involved, and we start praying for that, and we can pray earnestly, but we're kind of reacting to the situation. Uh, sometimes we're praying for somebody to have direction. Maybe they're going through a job change or maybe they're going through other relational kind of things, maybe a marriage or maybe other things. And we pray for something, but we're kind of praying in a reaction to something. Or we pray for strength because somebody's feeling overwhelmed. I think most of our prayers really kind of come out of that seed of something has happened and now we're praying for direction. This morning, the prayer that we see that Paul prays for the Philippians is probably one of the most proactive prayers that we see in the Bible. He has a similar one to the Colossians. We have several other times that we can look for this end of kind of this point where he's pointing toward an end. But, But this is a really, really good prayer pray for our kids, to pray for our grandchildren, to pray for a husband or a wife, to pray for other people in our lives that we just love and we care for. Why? Because it's not just a reactive prayer, but it's a proactive prayer. It's a praying toward a direction of spiritual maturity in their life. Now, how many of you want somebody to pray for your spiritual maturity? Yeah. Whether that's a husband, a wife, a a mother, a father, a son or a daughter, whoever it might be, a friend, a sister, that you're praying, okay, I I want them to pray for this. You know, Ricky, you said something as, uh, and we saw those beautiful pictures of your daughter last night, and and brother, as a father of two daughters, man, I could so relate, you know? The only difference is I think you own some guns, I don't. And so uh, it's one of those, you probably are more prepared for, for that whole situation there. But it is one of those things. And then we sing this song, you know, about the battle is on our knees. I can promise you this, guys. If you haven't been on your knees for your kids yet, you will be. And it's not one of those things. That's not to scare anybody. That's not to intimidate. It's just one of those things. 
we live in a, a fallen world, and, and we still, even though Jesus has saved us, and, and we have this brand new nature, and we're this new creation, we still have this little taint of fallenness even within us. Paul talks about in Romans 6, uh, man, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. What is this? And he reminds himself that this taint of sin, even though he's been totally forgiven of every sin, it still kind of lingers on a daily basis. Would you agree that that's part of your Christian life? You don't want it to be, but you still have to kind of, man, my fallenness comes in there. Anger or lack of forgiveness or, you know, pride, whatever it might be. So, so this battle that we know is answered, is, is directed toward prayer, is one of those things that we're challenged with. And when we begin to pray, even in reaction to something, we pray for healing, we pray for direction. These are good prayers. These are good prayers. Please do not hear that we're not to pray in reaction to things. Just realize that most of our prayers are probably more reactionary than they are kind of proactive. When we look at Paul's prayer, we're going to see four different components that he prayed for the Philippian church. And he prays out of this intimacy of his life. He he prays because he wants to see something in their lives. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now remember we said last week that Paul is now in prison, in a Roman prison, and 10 or 11 years before is when we were reading last week in Acts about the establishment of the Philippian church. So this is 10 or 11 years later. And, uh, he, you know, he, they're still supporting him, and he's thanking them for, for the support. And he says, I want you to know that you're a blessing and encouragement to me and, and that we have a long-established relationship. This isn't just somebody who attended service one time and said, hey, I kind of like your ministry. Hey, I'm going to help support it today. Here's, here's some money. These people have been faithful in good times and bad times, challenging times and times of great celebration. The Philippian church had been there, and he's thanking them. Now, he's thanking them not as the CEO of Paul Ministries. Please understand that. He's not just the representative of the ministry going, on behalf of all the donors here today, I just want to say thank you. No, this is personal, and we're going to find that by his words and by the description. This isn't just an obligation of thanking the donors so that more donations come into his ministry. He goes, guys, you've been there. I thank God for every remembrance of you because we have a history together. What we begin to see is this intimacy and this development of relationship. And that's why I think that this is a great prayer to pray for our children, for our grandchildren, for husbands and wives, for for those people that we have intimacies with. Can you pray the prayer that we're going to see today and these elements of these prayers for somebody who you just met yesterday? Yes, and it would be a great prayer. But the nature, if we really want to look at the context of these verses, he's praying in this intimacy of the relationship. And we see that from the very beginning. In fact, uh, look over at Philippians 4, 14 and 15, toward the end of the letter. And look what he says. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. In other words, this wasn't just all celebration. This isn't just, hey, you hear about all the great things that are happening. Even when the ministry days have been dry and there's been dormancy. There's been just hardship. Philippian church, you were there. Guys, y'all were there. 
Verse 15, And you Philippians yourselves, knowing that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only for you. He said, you kind of stand above everybody else and that you've just been faithful through this whole time. So even as he's in prison, he's praying this prayer and he's thanking them for their support. Look at verse 7. Again, going back to Philippians 1, verse 7. It is right for me to fill this way for you all. I think in the Greek it said y'all, but in, in your translation it probably says you all. It is right for me to fill this way about you all because I told you in my heart... I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both my imprisonment and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Does that sound like the CEO of a ministry saying thank you donors for your donation? Or does this say sound like a co-laborer that said, man, you've been right there with me. On the brightest of days and the darkest nights, you've been with me. Look at some of the terms that he used. Verse 7, he said, I hold you in my heart. What you know, if you've studied the Bible, what you know about Paul, is he kind of this touchy-feely kind of guy? Or is he more of a mission guy? Yeah. I mean, remember after the first missionary journey? Barnabas says, uh, we need to take John Mark with us. Paul says, it's not going to happen. <laughs> the mission is so important. And Barnabas is going, but it's people. He's got a, a life. He's, you know, he, he's got emotions. You're going to hurt his feelings. Paul goes, no. And it says in the Bible that they disagreed vehemently. Paul was a mission guy. Accomplished the mission. We'll talk about feelings later. And yet, how does he address the Philippian church? I hold you in my heart. Look at verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. See that word affection? It's a Greek word that means from the bowels, the deepest part of me. Now, I don't know that I'm going to go over there to Carly today and and uh, we've got our anniversary coming up in a couple weeks, and I don't know. I love you from the bowels of my heart. I, I don't know how she'd react with that. You know, it doesn't sound quite as romantic. I don't think you're going to find that on the Hallmark Channel or anything like that, you know, where guys are just coming up, and especially using this particular Greek word. But Paul does. Why? Because it truly is how he feels about the Philippian church. In fact, if you have the King James Version, I, I love that we bring different versions. We go by, uh, we kind of use the ESV, but if you have the King James, it says this in Philippians 1.8. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Well, what is he saying there? Because of what Christ has made me in the deepest part of me, I long for you. I long for you. Guys, this is not a CEO thanking donors for the ministry. This is a co-laborer, a brother in Christ, sharing the intimacies with the church that I think he dearly, dearly loves. And so he's praying for them. Now let's look at the prayer. Verses 9 through 11. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you see the proactive nature of that? 
rather than a reactor. He's not saying, okay, I, you know, were there troubles in the Philippian church? You might know about the Philippian church. Yeah, there was two ladies that had disagreements, and that disagreement between the two ladies started to kind of split the church a little bit. Some people are gone, we're from this person. The other person will say, well, no, we kind of support this person. And in their support of these two ladies that had differences, uh, they started seeing a rift in the church. And yet, Paul really, he makes one mention of that in, in this letter. Why? Because he's endeared to this church. And he's not just reacting to their situation. He's not just coming in and trying to bring correction there. He's trying to build them up in Jesus Christ. This is what my desire is for you. Why? Because it's Christ's desire for you. Now, let's break down. He prays for four different things. And by the end of the day, I hope that as you would see these four things, these are things that you would say, I'm going to pray this for my son. I'm going to pray this for my daughter. I'm going to pray this for my husband. I'm going to pray this for my wife. I'm going to pray this for my best friend. I'm going to pray this for people that are really, that they hold my heart as I hold them in my heart. What are these four things? Number one, that their love may abound more and more. Number two, that they would grow in discernment and know what is excellent. Number three, that they may be sincere and without offense. Literally, in the Greek, may not cause others to stumble. And number four, that they will have fruitful ministry. Can you imagine praying that for your sons and your daughters? Can you imagine praying that for your grandchildren? Not just a reactionary prayer. Hey, Little Johnny, he's got a, he's got a cold and, and you know, we want Johnny to feel better so he can go back to school. That is great. What a wonderful prayer. But this is a prayer where Paul's going, okay, down the road. I'm not going to be here. Paul has already been told by the Spirit of God that he will be executed. And he doesn't know if it's today, tomorrow, or next month, or when, but he knows that part of this risen in, uh, Roman imprisonment is waiting for execution. He knows this. He's already said goodbye to a lot of the people that he has uh, this intimacy with. But here he writes to the Philippians. He said, this is the prayer that I'm praying for you. In general, it's a prayer about spiritual growth. It addresses areas of our lives to reflect more and more on the transforming power of God within us. And it's based on a promise. I believe that he's kind of basing this on a promise that if we go back to verse 6, we would find that. Look at Philippians 1.6. It's a very familiar p- passage. I think we've, you've probably said that if you've been in you know, uh, the church for a while, if you grew up in the ch- church, if you've been to Bible studies, uh, it's part of uh, this Christian lingo that we have sometimes. And you've probably said something to the effect of Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of of Jesus Christ. Have you heard that verse before? Yeah. Now, now, what is the context of that verse? Is it, God's still working on me, be patient. (laughs) It has a, it's got an element of that, okay? God's not finished with me yet, okay? It's, um, It's got an element of that, but that's not the true kind of foundation of that. What he's saying is, okay, I can pray for maturity, I can pray for you to become more and more like Christ. Why? Because it's enabled by Christ. It's not just my hope that somehow you grow up and become more like Christ, but the very Spirit of God is going to enable you. Parents, one of the greatest things that we have when, when your child trusts Christ and His work for, for their lives 
It's the Holy Spirit of God is in them. And you can begin to pray. You don't have to start then, but you're already praying. But you can pray. Okay, God, use my daughter. Use my son. Use this person. Use my husband. Use my wife. Use these people that are intimate in my life for the kingdom. Why? Because I just want that for them. Yes, that's part of it. But it's their calling in Christ Jesus for Christian maturity. I like it. In Philippians 1.6, when it said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this. I love Spurgeon quotes, as you can probably tell. <laughs> and I love what he said about this. He said, it has much more to do with the perseverance of God than it does with the perseverance of man. <laughs> in other words, he said, my confidence isn't really in you, <laughs> But my confidence is that if God has chosen you and if you are saved, that he wants to use you. And so my confidence is in the calling of God and the ability of God to preserve you, for the ability of God to make you day by day more like Jesus Christ. What a wonderful prayer for our family. What a wonderful prayer for the intimacies of our life. Because there are there going to be times that we're not going to see evidence of growth and maturity in people that we love that call themselves Christians? Will there be times that we won't even see evidence of Christ in their lives? Yeah. And yet if they truly have trusted Christ, saved only because of what he has done, not because of anything that they could have ever done, this is our hope. And Paul is praying to that hope. He said, I'm praying for this hope, this end of maturity in Christ. Not because I really have a whole bunch of evidence in front of me right now, but just because I know that God is a persevering God. And my confidence in God's ability to hold you a lot more than just my ability to hope things work out. We don't think that when we go through life, we just naturally love more, uh, love people more. You know, it's one of those things that, and yet what's the first thing that, that he begins to pray for them in verse 9? Philippians, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. I found at my age that the tendency is to become more cynical of people, you know, by the time that you reach, you know, 60 or so, you know, it's one of those things we've seen enough stories to go, eh, I thought that was a good one. <laughs> Proved me wrong. And we've seen enough kind of heartbreaks in our lives that we become, if we're not careful, cynical. Would you agree with that? And you don't have to be 60. You can be 50. You can be 40. You can be 30. You can be 21. You know, you can say, man, I've already figured that out and I'm only 18. You know, it's one of those things, our tendency in human nature in human nature, it's not as we are exposed more and more to the world that we go, man, I just love this world that much more. That is the people of the world. We kind of get disappointed. We kind of get our feelings hurt. We kind of go through where even people that we thought we could trust let us down. And so what is his first prayer for them? He says, okay, part of maturity that I want for you is to love people more and more. The love that is, he uses the word agape. You know, there were several Greek words for love. Eros, phileo, agape is one. Agape is the one of God's, that represents God's love for us. This unconditional love. Uh, really an unmerited love. It's a love of the will rather than the love of the emotions. 
Have you ever had to love somebody out of will instead of out of emotions? That's what he's praying for. Why? Because he says, I want you to love somebody even when they're not acting so lovely. That's kind of hard. You know, when we pray out of, uh, when we love out of emotions, it's because, you know, man, you did this kind thing for me, or, or you're lovely, or this is a good thing, so it's easy to love you. But he says, okay, God loves us even when we are unlovely, and we were the most unlovely. And so he uses that word, and he says, I want you to love more and more with this unconditional love. I want you to love, even as you're exposed more and more to the unloveliness, I want you to love more and more. Please pray that for your pastor. I mean, do you want that prayer prayed for you? Do you want that prayer prayed for your children, for your grandchildren? For your husband and your wife? Significant friends, intimacies in your life. God, will you help them to love more and more? We're just not going to naturally do that. In fact, just the opposite. Again, we become more cynical. And yet the gospel allows us to love in this capacity. But it is through Jesus Christ. It's not going to be of the natural things. No, we're, we're going to kind of draw our guard around us naturally. John said it this way. John, the granddaddy of the New Testament, you know, he's the older one. He's, he's writing from this grandfather's perspective, kind of, you know, this old wise sage. And, and God just gave him the ability to say some great, great things uh, to, to teach us. And, and John said this in 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, here's the foundation. Here's, here's, the, here's the cup that we're pouring from. Then we also ought to love one another. Never does he say, man, you want to love more? Just get a bigger cup. No, he says, you've already got the cup. If you're in Christ, you already got the cup. When he tells us to forgive, we're to forgive as we have been forgiven. He said, you already got that cup. If you're a believer, you've already got that cup. Pour from that cup. Well, I don't know, because, you know, my daddy, he was a hard man, and his grand, my granddaddy was a hard man. No, it doesn't say drink from granddaddy's cup. Don't drink from daddy's cup. Drink from Jesus' cup. You want to forgive? This is, this is where you drink from. This is our hope, guys. That's why we can say that we're in brand new creation in Christ. I'm not saying that we still don't have to deal with all kinds of inherited things and thoughts and philosophies and all that. I'm just saying... The gospel gives us freedom from our past and gives us the ability to truly take on Christ's likeness because of the Holy Spirit of God and not just become better people. Think about it. Can you honestly say that mankind has gotten better at loving one another through their own development? I mean, we would say that we're some of the most progressive people of all time of human history. And yet I would challenge that maybe we do not love well at all. And so our hope isn't technology. Our hope isn't just the advancement of mankind. Our hope is Jesus Christ. And when Paul realizes this, and so he prays for the Philippians to love more and more, that they begin to grasp what God has for them. What a great prayer for my wife, for my children, for my grandchildren. Number two, a growing knowledge. 
he's writing to the Philippians. He's writing and they, they're kind of uh, surrounded by the Greeks and a Greek mentality. Did the Greeks consider themselves pretty smart people? Did they love philosophy? They love wisdom. They loved all things wisdom. So they're kind of oriented toward that. And look what he writes for the, or what he prays for the Philippians in verse 9. And it is my prayer that you would love, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. This is a lot different than just having more data about spiritual things and more data about God. In my favorite book of all time, J.F. Packer's Knowing God, in the first chapters, he says, this is not a book about just knowing more about God. This is a book about knowing God. In fact, this is what he said. What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set for ourselves in life? Knowledge of God. What is the best thing in life bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. Now, is he talking about more facts about God? How far Philippi was from Ephesus? Knowing this grace and this gospel, this beauty of, of what God has done. And that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life in him. That's the knowledge of God. And the more intimacies we know of God as he reveals himself in the word, the more that we begin to share that. And so this growing knowledge that he's talking about here is not just knowledge about God, but knowledge of God. What's the end of that? What's the point of all that? Well, he tells us, with knowledge and all discernment. I love how the NIV says this. Uh, it says verse 9, and, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Very accurate wording there from the Greek. Depth of insight. Do, do you want that for your kids and from your grandkids? Do you want that for your husband or for your wife? Do you want that for the intimacies of the relationships that you have, your friends around you? they would grow and mature and not just know more about God but that knowledge of God as holy God would give them discernment around 1590 they invented the microscope and they began to see things that they'd never seen before and all of a sudden they had insight to cells and germs and viruses and the list goes on and on He gave them a deeper insight to something that had always been there. They just couldn't see it before with the naked eye. And all of a sudden now they have this instrument, this tool, and they're going, now we can see. Oh, my goodness, look what's happening here. We see now that you know we can even see far, far out into the galaxies with the latest telescope that was kind of put out there in space. It's kind of amazing. Has it always been there? Yes, but now we can see with the insight the things that before we didn't have sight for. And that's Paul's prayer for this church and for this people. I just want you to have insight. I just want you to have discernment. I just want you to be able to see things, not just information, but information to a maturing use. And that's what he uses in verse 10. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent. You can discern what is best. 
it is a hope of a lot of us as parents as we're raising our kids that they know right from wrong. Is that correct? And yet what Paul does here, he is, he's praying for this church. He says, okay, I'm, I'm not just praying that you know right from wrong. I, I want you to know from good, better, or best. I want you to have discernment to see what is best. He's really praying really big prayers for them. Discernment and ability to discern what is the best choice, not just right from wrong. What a great prayer of maturity that God has placed in their life. I mean, can you imagine praying this? God, send my son, my daughter to navigate this world with your wisdom and your discernment. Help them to see through the lens of the gospel microscope the beauty and riches of your word and your gospel. And that's his prayer. I mean, this was a consistent prayer of Paul for the ones that he watched over, that he would see or at least pray for their transformed lives. Uh, our verse of the year a couple of years ago, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. For, for what end, Paul? Why, why is my mind being transformed? What, what's the end? That by testing you may discern what the will of God is. What is good and acceptable and what? Perfect. Not just be able to see what's right from wrong. I mean, that's a good starting place. I mean, I, I, I'm praying that you'd have a transformed mind, so filled with the Holy Spirit, so filled with the things of God and, and, and the, the truth of His Word, that, that it's not really so much of a challenge between right and wrong anymore, but that you're truly thirsty for the things that are truly the perfections of God, the, 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 the highest wisdom, the and this isn't a secretive wisdom. This is available to anybody who's a Christian. This isn't something like the Gnostics were seeking after. No, this is, he's just praying, I want your life to be led by the beauty of the gospel. Third, a growing purity. One of our young couples just had a, uh, Baby Friday, and uh, well, I guess it was actually Saturday morning. And uh, Jake and Kayla uh, brought their little girl into the world, eight pounds, four ounces. Beautiful little girl. And I texted Jake, he's one of my discipleship guys, and I, I texted him and said, Man, don't need to write back or anything right now. I know your phone's blowing up, but just, hey, welcome to the girl, to the dad, uh, girl dad club, you know. The, you know, when you're a when you're a dad of girls, and I'm not, this is not making any light of, of you know or in any way disparaging to uh, dads of boys, but but there is uh, Nick. Would you say that there is this kind of need that we have as dads of girls? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Mr. Joe, I see that hand back there. Yeah. <laughs> this is not disparaging whatsoever. You know, to all the guys that have, you know, uh, some of our other young babies, are, you know, are boys. And, and they need special prayers. <laughs> God, don't let them kill themselves. <laughs> By just being a boy. <laughs> Can you relate to that? <laughs> yeah. But this whole thing of purity. And that's not a girl dad uh, or a boy dad. That's just a dad. 
in this world today, guys? So that you may be able to prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I want to pray not just that you'd have discernment, not just that you'd have this wisdom, but but the end is that that you would be able to live a more pure life. That the use of that discernment, you would take roads that would lead to purity and not impurity. That this knowledge would have an end, and that end would be that you would just work, you know, that you would see more and more uh, the purity of, of what it is to live under the power of God's leadership of our life. I mean, and where do we get that? We get that from the Word. God's Spirit with God's Word is what He uses. I, I don't know that He's ever going to come up with another method, guys, than His Spirit by, empowered by His Word, or His Word empowered by His Spirit, however you want to say it, because they, they work in that coordination. That's what brings this growth maturity to give us the ability to be more like Christ and think more like Christ and have discernment and hear purity. The psalm says it this way, Psalms 119.11, I have stored up the word of God in my heart that I might not sin against you. I just want a pure life. That's not just having more rules. No. If you look into that word, it means that you've stored them in your heart. You value them. You love them. And you see the wisdom in them. Anybody have the amplified version? I know today, let's say we've had uh, the ESV, we've had the NIV, we've had, you know, King James, this one. Let me give you a little amplified version of verse, uh, of this verse, Philippians 4.10. So that you may surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value. Is that a good prayer? Will you pray that prayer for me? I will accept anybody who wants to pray that prayer right there. Bobby, that you would surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value. I need that prayer every single day. And more than likely, you need that prayer every single day. And I can promise you, your children need that prayer every single day. Talking with an old guy like me the other day, just as old guys talking, I said, man, I wouldn't, would not, wouldn't go back to high school for anything. Would not be successful there. And we weren't trying to limit the grace of God. We were just saying we knew what kind of guys we were. And I, I just don't know, you know, it, it's overwhelming. More than ever, we need to be praying this prayer, a reflection of this prayer for our family and our loved ones. Last one, a growing righteousness. Look at verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He said, I pray that you're so connected to the power of the gospel, the power of Christ, that you will see the fruit of Christ. It's very similar. Maybe he was even thinking of what John said in John 15. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't know if that was going through Paul's mind or, or what, but he gives us the same exact truth there. My prayer for you is that you're going to grow in righteousness. Why? Because righteousness comes from and only from your relationship with God and with Christ. And the more that you realize that you're connected and you stay connected there, the more fruit you're going to have. 
That's where we come back and say, okay, how do we stay connected? Well, thank God. <laughs> Truly, thank God. As Spurgeon said, that our hope is the power of God's perseverance and not our own perseverance. And you chart my perseverance? God's perseverance? Through Christ, it is finished. It is done. And that's where I rest my hope. But here he prays for a growing righteousness. He's praying with an end in mind. We have families of every age and every size. And this is my, my hope, is that, that we would pray these prayers. You know, for our families and our loved ones around us. And you may or may not be married. You may or may not have children. You may or may not... You know, there's a lot of different things that we've talked about today. This is not to exclude and just say, okay, this is just for... No, this is for anybody who has intimacy in their life. And you might say, well, you know, Pastor, that's a whole other subject. I, I really don't even have a close friend. Well, let me know. Because I would be honored to pray this prayer for you. But a lot of us do have at least one or two friends, or we have some intimacies, we have some family, we have some people around us that that care for us. And and this is our charge today, guys, that we would go back this week and that we really would. We just would pray this prayer. It's the hardest discipline of my life is prayer. And I, I don't say that proudly, guys. I say that confessionally. It's really a hard discipline for me. My mind, I can use all the excuses in the world. My mind has a really hard time to stay focused. And so I close my eyes and I'll send squirrel, dinosaur. Think, I mean, it's, it's all over the place. And I found that I have to write things down so that I can have a method of prayer because my mind goes all over the place. Now I can use that as an excuse or I can say, no, this is just a really hard discipline for me. But here's the challenge. One of my discipleship guys, we're, we're, we started a book um, a couple weeks ago by E.M. Bounds. Anybody know E.M. Bounds? He's like the, the father of books on prayer. And it has, I, we came to discipleship that first week and I said, well, if I had to grade myself on this chapter, I'd be doing good to get an F. But let's keep going because more and more as Ian Bounds would tell us about these, the, the, the beauty of prayer, that more and more and more we would begin to, to entertain that in our prayers and just give us a, a way to pray. Guys, I'm not saying pray this word for word. Just see the model. See what he's praying for. And then just reflect that as you pray for your family, for your loved ones. And invite others to pray that for you. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, I thank you for Paul. Probably not a, a touchy-feely kind of guy. And yet, Father, we get this intimacy. He tells the church at Philippi, I love you from my bowels. (laughs) The deepest part of me, I I have this kind of care for you. I thank you. And I thank God for this remembrance of you. And then he prays this prayer, Father, that is so amazing. To pray for their growth, for their love to abound more and more. For them to have discernment and wisdom in their lives. Not just to avoid bad, but to discern what is good and perfect and have a heart and a value to that. To grow in righteousness, to reflect Christ more and more and more. And Father, he doesn't put it on their shoulders that say they hope they get connected to the right church and 
and kind of are in the right Bible say, no, he brings it all back to the finished work of your son. This is our hope. That you are holy God. And you've made provision for us, Father, to be more like Christ in the power of your spirit as we understand more and more of your word. So, Father, grow us, challenge us, and challenge us, Father, parents, grandparents, husbands, wives, friends, sisters, brothers, that we would pray this prayer for those that you've called intimately into our lives. We love you and thank you as we pray all this in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.